today's read, Midnight and the Meaning of Love by Sister Soja, Part 3, Korean Drama, Chapter 17, Night of Power. Moving away from the mosque and down the hill and into the now darkened sky, lit up by the lights of Itawan, I was comfortable. The narrow alleys reminded me of both the Sudan and Egypt, Khartoum and Cairo. I came up on an international grocer displaying shelves of the spices and ingredients that Uma used most often, as well as coffees, teas, and candies, including packages of henna, an array of incense being sold along with the foods. An Islamic travel agency that was closed as I sped to the prayer was open now and doing business with four or more customers. I could smell the aroma of fresh foods being prepared. Previously darkened restaurants were now packed, some without air conditioning the way my father preferred it. Their doors were swung open. I was tempted, but I passed on sitting down to eat a full meal. I planned to do that with Akimi. There were so many small businesses with Arabic awnings and lettering, I had to remind myself I was in Seoul, South Korea. I turned into the Islamic Center for Books, impressed by just them being located here, as well as by the bright lights and stacked shelves of meaningful reading from all over the world. It was good to see men wearing their turbans or kufis or fezes. They were engaged in conversation about real things. I could tell by their expressions. One man, dressed in his jalabaya, either a worker or the owner, was talking intensely and confidently to Chiasa, who was listening and focused. With her back to me, she was wearing jeans and sandals and a pretty Chinese gold satin blouse that was tapered and fitted to her body and rolled down over her hips. Her long, thick, wild hair was only one-third covered with a gold scarf, which she rocked like a headband. Her golden skin, set off by the blouse and headband, looked beautiful. She always looked graceful in her stance because of her long, ballerina legs and perfect posture. I stepped up behind her and said some words in Arabic over her shoulder to the man who was talking with her. His eyes were filled with a passionate plea to influence Chiasa in one direction or another concerning Islam. I imagine he did this for all of his customers, but I was feeling tight at him for conversing with her. After my words to him, he stopped. Ryoshi! She looked over her shoulder and then spun all the way to face me. What is this name you've been calling me? I asked her. She smiled. She looked back at the man that she had been listening to, and he turned his eyes away from her, and his attention shifted onto a customer who was holding and flipping pages of a book he had pulled from the shelf. What did you say to him? Chiasa asked me. I grabbed her hand and said, let's go. Her palm felt warm. The breeze outside was warm. I was warm. She was completely quiet. We walked and walked. Chiasa. One thousand mornings, wings of fire, I thought to myself, and now her tongue is quiet, and the fire is in her body. It's after sunset, I said to her. 
I can see that, she said. But you didn't see me in the mosque, I asked. Oh, were you in the mosque, she asked nonchalantly. What were you doing in the mosque, I asked. Two things, learning how to make the prayer and learning how to wrap my hair properly. I think mine is too much. It's thick. It's been a problem. The whole time I was growing up in Japan, no one knew what to do with it, especially not my mother. It's pretty, I told her, truthfully. Thank you, she said quietly. I turned down an alley that incidentally led to a makeshift mini city park. It was the opposite of Chiasa's Yoyogi, which was a wonderful forest of treasures and also her home in Japan. I stopped walking when I reached an available old bench. We both sat down. Give me your right hand, I told her. She held it out. I went inside of my pocket and pulled out the tissue paper. I opened the soft paper and slid seven gold bangles over her pretty fingers and onto her wrist. As she looked down on the dark 24 karat gold, she twisted her wrist to make them jingle, but kept her eyes cast down. Give me your left hand, I told her. She held it out. I slid a ring onto her finger. It was a simple 24 karat gold band with a setting that lifted one pear-shaped one karat diamond. She stared at it, then lifted her face. Her eyes were filled with amazement. I leaned in toward her. If I see you again, and you and I are alone, the way that we were for all of those days, I'll go in you. I know it, and you know it. The pretty puma lowered her eyes. You have your Quran on you? The only relationship that you and I can have is through marriage. It's written in there. You understand it, I said calmly, then got up. Standing over her, I asked her, where are you staying? At the Shilla with my father, she said softly. How long before you return to Japan, I asked her. Until Thursday morning. My father has a big banquet to attend here in Seoul on Wednesday night. He invited me here. I'm his date. I'd like for you to meet with him, my father. If it's okay, I'll check with him tonight to ask him if he will and when he can, she said, sweetly, sounding as though she was mistaking her ferocious father for a toothless tiger. No problem. I'll meet him wherever I need to meet him, I said, as her eyes were staring into mine in a concentrated way. Akimi, I said. I called her, she asked to said swiftly. She wants to meet. I wanted to meet also. So, we agreed on tomorrow night at 8 p.m., me and Akimi at your hotel. Chiasa, quick like lightning, I said in a lowered voice. Ryoshi? What? I said, then asked, Who is that? Ryoshi? I asked her for the tenth time. It means the hunter. That's my name for you, she said softly. The hunter? I thought about it and smiled. Yes. 
the hunter, and you got me. She pointed at her heart with one slim, pretty finger. It brought my eyes to her chest. (sighs) Her breasts were making an impression in her gold satin blouse. I moved my eyes away. I was at the breaking point with her. A slight push is all it would take. Let me take you back to your hotel. I grabbed her hand. I knew I shouldn't, but I wanted to feel her. In the taxi, she laid her hand on my leg. We were seated close together. I want you to, she whispered. I looked at her. I want you to go in me, she said. Then we were quiet the rest of the way, only my right and her left hand caressing. The Shilla Hotel was some exclusive five-star place. Riding the route that led to it introduced me to some new night images of Seoul. Like any major city, it had its places of great wealth all the way down to low living. It had places of industry or offices or fashion. It had temples and throwback alleys that gave the feeling that we had traveled back in time and been dropped into their traditions. I hadn't thought about it, yet there was no reason to expect the general to stay anywhere else besides in this luxury. I let the general's daughter out in front and continued on with the same driver. I rode for some seconds with my eyes closed. I thought to myself, she got me. She's very smart and very quick and very, very clever. She's the real hunter. Chapter 18 Teardrops Patiently, I waited outside on the steps that led into Hyundai's suites. Akimi and her aunt, uncle, and cousins were not back yet. It was 10 p.m. Something must have happened, I thought, as Professor Danghua had suspected that it would. By 11, I was still downstairs sitting, then standing, then pacing. I shot across the narrow lane and into the impromptu city park which faced the hotel. Seoul had a few of these I'd seen. They were small sitting places with cement grounds, two to four benches, monkey bars, and a couple of swings. That's it. But I checked a place to bust out some pull-ups. I wanted to burn off some energy, beat back my hunger while waiting for my wife. When she arrived, inshallah, I would go walking with her, and we would eat wherever she wanted to eat. I had waited the whole evening to eat with her. The park was closed, and the lamps were off. I didn't mind the dark or even working out in a Seoul City Park. Yet it was clear that it was the opposite of my Busan Beach. 100 pull-ups, 250 sit-ups, 157 push-ups later, Dong Hua's van appeared, and everyone began stepping out of the vehicle beside him. She didn't see me, sitting on the chain, facing the hotel, but in the shadows of the closed park. Akimi, I called her. She turned around and looked in the direction of my voice first, before our eyes met. Her standing, me sitting and rocking on the chain. 
She said some Korean words to her aunt and her cousins. Then she walked my way. Professor Dong Hua didn't pull off immediately. Instead, he watched my wife until he saw me stand and pull her clothes into my arms. She was wearing a red silk mini so mean it could only be worn over jeans. Her hair was wrapped. On her pretty fingernails, she had painted on black hangul lettering flawless. She brushed over the letters with a clear gloss that glistened. Stray strands of her hair had eased out of her scarf. I moved her hair from her sleepy eyes. She looked up at me. She was still herself. All feelings and seductions. I squeezed her some and carried her down the lane on my back. In a pasta place, she said and gestured that she had already eaten, but she kept pushing her fingers in my sauce and licking it, or offering her saucy finger to me instead. In her one scoop of vanilla, with the caramel drizzled on it, she spilled two tears. I called the waiter the way they do in Korea. Yogyo! I paid him and grabbed her hand and left most of the ice cream and caramel melting in the dish. In a mostly empty theater, we sat a while. A film that was completely foreign to me played on the screen. We didn't need them. The actors. We kissed softly and touched instead, seated in the last row in the corner. One hour in, she fell asleep on my arm. I held her thought about how she must feel. Eventually, my thoughts settled on whether she spilled two tears because of her emotions from meeting her grandmother. After all, today was the first day Akimi had spent with her in her entire lifetime. Or was my wife crying because she had received a call from Chiasa at some point earlier today? I sincerely hoped it was because of the grandmother. When I woke her up to leave the theater, she threw both her arms around my neck. Minutes later, I carried her back to our suite. Lying in one bed with no lights beneath the sheets, she moved her hands all over my body slowly before climbing on top of me and easing into her favorite place. We had a slow, silent grind with only the sound of moisture mixing. Both my hands were gripping her. She was so sleepy, but still, she wanted that feeling. My entire face was covered with her heavy hair, and my skin was wet from her hot and continuous tears. She slept now. I held her tight for a while, listening to her breathe and feeling her heart beating against my bare chest. As I drifted off, I thought to myself, if Chiasa is all fire, and she is, then Akimi is pure sugar, the sweetest feeling I've ever known, the sweetest emotion, the sweetest taste, the sweetest woman. Before sunrise, I eased her over onto three pillows and covered her with the bed sheets. I showered, made prayer, and afterward fell into a needed rest lying in the other bed. When I woke, she was gone. She had pasted a piece of paper to my headboard with a strip of lotion on the back to hold it up there. I pulled it down. It was written entirely in Korean Hangul. Not the type to panic, 
I panicked. I threw on my clothes, the ones I'd worn the night before, and took the stairs down to the front desk. The last letter that I had gotten from my wife led to her disappearance. This second letter had me shook. Excuse me, please, tell me in English what this says, I asked the desk attendant. She looked at the note curiously, and then she began to blush. Looking at her face, and without hearing her interpretation yet, I felt relieved. She says she loves you. She has gone with her grandmother to Wogedong, and afterward they will visit a school named Yum Yum, and she will meet you back here tonight. She writes, hopefully at 7 p.m., that's it. The attendant smiled part way and then snatched her smile back. Komsamida, I said, meaning thank you in Korean. Oh, you are in room 707, yes? She asked me. You have a message. She turned and pulled an envelope from the mail slot. The flap of the envelope was not glued shut. The note was written in English on Hyundai's Suites stationery. Thank you for being so good to Akimi and us. We have gone back to Busan. I have already extended your reservation until Thursday. If Akimi could please remain in Seoul, visiting with her grandmother for today and tomorrow, we would really be so grateful to you. The two of you may travel back to Busan on Thursday with her. Grandmother has decided that we will have a ceremony for Akimi's mother, Ju Yoon, on Saturday in Busan. She has decided that Busan is the place that Ju Yoon would have preferred. We will scatter her ashes over the South Sea on an island not far from North Korea. It will bring peace to everyone and give Sun Yoon and me a chance to make all of the arrangements. The elder has decided this. In Korean culture, we follow the elder's way in these matters. Please understand us. Professor Dong Hua. When I told the desk clerk that I would make the payment for our room extension, she said, it has already been taken care of. Back in our room, I changed into clean clothes. Afterward, I made telephone calls to handle and rearrange all of my business to fit the new schedule, which was only possible because of Uma's assurance. I didn't mind making the changes, although I thought that Dong Hua should have faced me instead of writing the letter. I knew how important the ceremony for Akimi's mom's ashes was to her, and also for her newly discovered family. For me, this situation was, as Haki had once mentioned, a clash of cultures. In Sudan, Men handle the business of burials and funerals. Our women do not even attend such events. Instead, they gather indoors and mourn and comfort one another, cook and share and converse. Men carry the body, which has already been washed and cleaned and prepared according to our faith and culture. When I reached downstairs, just as I walked across the hotel lobby, the same front desk clerk approached me, hurrying from behind. There's a call for you, she said. We tried to put it through once before, but your phone line was occupied. I followed her to the front desk. Chapter 19 One Soul Ryoshi 
Can you talk for a minute? Chiasa asked. Where are you? I asked her. At my hotel. I just finished speaking to my father. He's gone out now to attend some meetings, she said. Let's meet up, I told her, and gave her the address to the travel agency where I was headed. Her hair wasn't wild today, but her eyes were. She wore two thick, long cornrows and had more of a glow than before. She was wearing the love she was feeling, it seemed, and the jewels I had gifted her as well. The soul sun on a Ramadan day had straightened us up some, both of us. The nighttime has a sensual power that can make passions feel even more urgent. I had planned to give her those jewels after she and Akimi met and spoke specifically about our situation. But after seeing Chiasa in the mosque and then in the bookstore, I felt pushed to mark my territory and that urgency led me to place one bangle at a time on her wrist and one diamond ring on her finger. All mosques are filled with Muslim men. They are serious men who welcome marriage, wives, and family. What time are you leaving tomorrow was the first thing she asked me. Her left hand was raised up and shielding her eyes from the sun rays. Now, drops of sunlight were dancing on her diamond. Change of plans. I'm not leaving tomorrow, I said calmly. She smiled. I'm so happy. Now you can meet Daddy. I had so many things I wanted to tell you and so many things I felt we needed to talk about before you left for the States. I just looked at her. I didn't say any response. I was thinking that she must not know that I was planning to take her home with me. If Akimi agreed, it would be the three of us flying to New York. If not, Chiasa could keep the jewels. They were valuable enough. I had sold my watch to get that pear-shaped diamond, no sweat. Chiasa had given me more. She had given me Akimi. Let's talk, I told her. We walked, her messenger bag riding on her hips. My father can't meet today. His schedule is so crazy. He can meet tomorrow, though. I hope you won't mind. He said if you were still in Seoul, we could all meet at the Shilla because that's where the banquet is. He can squeeze us in at seven right before the event. I'll be dressed up, but you don't have to. It's just because I have to attend the banquet with Daddy. She took a breath. I smiled. I knew the general had selected a time to meet with me when he thought I would already be in flight to New York. Out of his life. And she asked us also. I'll be there. Seven sharp, I said calmly. Oh, good. She threw both arms up in a touchdown pose, same as when she first came creeping into my Shinjuku hostel. Okay, so... About the vending machines, I found a connect, she said, shifting into her business mind. I spoke with one who offered all kinds of options that I thought might work good for you. I realized right then that one reason I felt so attached to this girl was her energy. The range of her personality was wide. When she wasn't around, I missed the way she made me feel. 
Her mind was so swift and she was always poised and positioned and moving rapidly toward victory in whatever she was dealing with. She was a problem solver, not a problem. She was stress-free. She was peace to me. So, what do you want to do about it, she asked. Let's call him. Right now? These are business hours, I said. It was warm inside the phone booth with the door closed all the way so that we could hear the call properly. We were facing one another. We were standing close but not touching. She was speaking to the connect in Japanese and back and forth to me in English. Then her eyes switched and she said to me in English, So, give me your unit. So, give me your New York address while holding the phone to her ear. I gave her my queen's address. Now, she was the second person to know what I normally wouldn't allow anyone to know. She was speaking in a soft, polite Japanese, bowing while speaking as though the caller could see her. It was part of her, I told myself. It was automatic. It was her Japanese culture. It's done. The machine will be sent to your New York address. The purchase order will be sent to me. You give me the money and I'll pay it, Chiasa announced. There was a pause between us. What? she asked me. Her eyes widened. I just smiled. I had nothing to say. Do you have your passport on you? I asked Chiasa as we sat inside the travel agency. Yes, she said, curious. Why? She swung her bag around to her lap and opened it. It's here. She handed it to me. I want to reserve three tickets from Busan International Airport to JFK Airport in New York. Leaving Busan on Sunday, May Chiasa's eyebrows both lifted up. She didn't speak or interrupt or contradict me. She remained silent. Half an hour later, outside the door of the agency, she said, Ryoshi. Avoiding offering her any of the details until after her meeting with Akimi, I changed the topic. Do you always carry a slingshot, I asked her. Of course, she smiled. Even if I didn't have one on me, I could make one in less than three minutes out of two pencils and rubber bands. She was all excited again, speaking about her weapons of choice. In Itawan, I bought a scarf to wrap her hair in. In the back of a musical instrument shop, I watched as she showed me that she knew how to wear it. When she got it all wrong, I wrapped it for her. As my hands moved over her head, her eyelashes grazed my skin. I could feel her breathing. When I leaned in a bit more, she gasped. I looked straight into her. It's not sunset, I told her. I can see that, she said quietly. Why are you doing this? I asked her. Why are you fasting and reading Quran and wrapping your hair? I really wanted to listen and hear her reasoning. At first, I was doing it out of pure admiration for Ryoshi, really. Then I started reading the Quran for myself. Certain things in there gave me a feeling, she said. What kind of feeling? I asked as we left the music store and walked through the soul springtime framed by all of nature blossoming. At first, when I opened the Quran, 
looked, I looked at the table of contents. I chose to read Alnisa, the chapter on the women, before anything else. It said in there that Allah created man and woman from one soul. I thought that was beautiful. I read the entire chapter, but that one line kept repeating in my mind. I thought that if everyone everywhere in the world believed that one line, things would be so much better between men and women and families. All of this time it seemed like everybody everywhere thought that women were less than men, lower and okay to mistreat. She looked at me, smiling. I thought about how each time I pushed to see if she was bullshitting me about something, she would prove that she wasn't. Like earlier on when she gave her true reasons for following me to Kyoto, she also was thoughtful, like my father raised me to be. What about in that same surah, Al-Nisa, where it says on the 34th ayat that men are the maintainers of women and that good women are obedient? I smiled. I'd like a good man to be my maintainer, she smiled. And it says, good women are obedient to Allah and guard the unseen, she corrected me. That means, don't walk around naked and uncovered, she smiled. We both laughed, without a real joke or reason. About the two or three or four wives situation, I don't know, I'll admit. I wanted it to be true because I want, and my heart wants, and my body wants to be with you and you are already married but it seems like men are given permission to have up to four wives only in certain situations and it says also only if you can do justice with them do you think a man could really treat more than one wife equally and justly she looked at me sideways I was thinking and silent for some time then I told her what was truest to me. I don't think one man can give two women the exact same things. I don't think that a man has to give his two women the exact same things to do them justice. Each woman is different. Probably they wouldn't even want the exact same things because of those differences between them. But I could give two women the same things in general a true love, a lifetime of loyalty, a hard-working man and provider, a passionate lover, and a man who would risk his life to protect you and give up his life so that you can keep yours if necessary. Then I reminded her, while you are bowing your head and praying to Allah, I am humbling myself and obeying and praying to Allah also.